It's amazing what three words can say. <laughs> if you knew this was a subject, would you have still come? For those online, please do not click off. <laughs> there is incredible freedom that we're about to be invited into. And it's very interesting that your response to just seeing the word submission to authority, uh, what it caused to rise up. Because I wanted to start off by sharing with you a scene that happened in a local school recently. Uh, my wife, Joelle, has been a, an employee of the public school system for many years. She's a paraprofessional. And in her role as a paraprofessional, she uh, provides support to teachers and to students. Now, she has the opportunity to work with uh, uh, students in individually one-on-one, some small groups, uh, classes, and then even larger um, groups of, of students. Uh, so recently, she was um, providing oversight to a larger group of students, and there's this one little fellow that was uh, behaving in some very inappropriate ways, we'll say that. And um, my wife intervened and said, you know, and, and said, this is not what you're uh, supposed to do. This is not what you're allowed to do. And um, would you like to hear the response? <laughs> you're not the boss of me. To which my wife immediately responded, yes, I am the boss of you. I'm sorry, my mind just went across this congregation. I'm wondering how many, now I'm, I'm talking about my wife as an, as an employee of the school and a student, but I'm wondering how many interactions similar to that have happened this morning uh, within the possibly families here. or you know, It's very possible because this is not unique, okay? Um, now, now, there was follow-up, uh, there was response, but you know, can you imagine what this looked like to an observer? when a little fellow about the third my wife's height and about a tenth my wife's age is, is declaring authority, <laughs> right, to the, the, pers the person that was assigned authority over him. Now, the next day, there was a follow-up little meeting with included his teacher and uh, my wife and himself, and uh, instruction was given that, in fact, Mrs. Fair is your boss, I'm your boss, and every adult in this school is your boss. <laughs> and I really do think that there was a difference made because that young man needed to be trained in authority, in submission to authority. Now, we can, we can laugh at the little kid and, and, and at the situation, but it's because we can identify with it, right? Like we've had experiences of that where, where young ones um, uh, power up and they choose to come against authority, Okay. But something that I learned a long time ago when our children were young is this, that often when I was disciplining them and I was speaking words of correction and instruction to them, God was saying those very words to me. Okay, that my discipline of my children actually um, helped me to see God's discipline of me. There's one specific one. It's the one that sticks out in my mind the strongest because it's the first one that I remember that just jumped out. And it was this where I'm explaining to my child, how many times do I need to tell you the same thing before you'll listen? Okay? And literally, as I'm saying these words to my child, I'm hearing God say to me, Mark, how many times do I need to tell you the same thing before you'll listen? Right? It doesn't mean that I stop disciplining my child. It's just that I get ready to be disciplined when I discipline my child, right? Um, but that's the thing is that this, these things are inherent in all of us. There's something in us that uh, challenges authority. The fighting for submission is, is something that we literally need to, to fight for. It's not a natural instinct to, to sub submit Okay, to, it's hard to even say the word, right? It's not a natural instinct for us to submit. So it's something that we need to work at. It's something that we need to purpose to do. And what we're going to be looking at, looking at in these next verses in 1 Peter, chapter 2, and then in the first part of chapter 3, we're just going to be chapter 2 today, is, is dealing with this very thing. Peter takes it head on. He said, let's go at this. Submission to authority. And how we live... I want you to hear this. How we live in light of authority in our lives has great impact on our lives, on our witness, and on our worship. That how we respond to authority in our lives has great impact on our lives, 
on our witness to those around us, and in our worship to God. I think we need to pray. God, right now, we once again come before you, God. We've done it in song, and we've done it in prayer already. We've done it in our giving, God. We just want to submit to you. God, um, help us to hear what you're speaking to us on this subject. God, help us, Lord, to hear this high call and to realize that what you call us to, you empower us to do. God, I pray that you would help our eyes to see what you want each one of us to see personally. Uh, God, give us freedom where we may not even realize we've had bondage. And God, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts, penetrate us to the depths of our being. Your word is alive and it's active. It's meant to, uh, it's, it's your breath, it's breathed by you. And God, it's meant to, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to instruct us. So God, let your word have its way in each one of our lives. And Lord, we just open up ourselves to you and pray, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, Ben shared from the first half of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and he shared about Jesus being the cornerstone. He is the, the foundational rock that the church is built on, the foundation and the one to, to which all, all of the church is to align. And then we were invited into this beautiful place of being living stones together as the temple, the dwelling place of God Almighty. And throughout this week, I've thought about this before, but especially uh, since last Sunday, I've just been like looking at my brothers and sisters, even as I look around right now, to just sense and to know the connection that we have as living stones together. That all that are members of the body of Christ are these living stones that are building this temple, this dwelling place, this place of provision and of security and of protection. This is the temple of God, the church. And I want us to uh, just look at this last, last slide that uh, Ben had put up about the church. And this is so powerful. Soak this in. This is the church. All who are members of the church have come into personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As a temple of his greatness, we need to savor this belonging to the victorious company of the blood-bought, spirit-empowered children of God. We are the church, the family of God, the flock of his pasture, the body and bride of Christ. We are the temple built on the solid rock of the identity of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Amen. Yes. We are part of that church, and it's the work of God. It's him in us. It's centered in him. It's founded on him. It's aligned to him. And we are invited into this wonderful place. So as that wonderful church together, we are going to go forward in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I would like to start by reading the last two verses from last week. It's a beautiful transition from the teaching last week into today. Beginning with verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So remember, this is where we live, but we are visitors. This is not our permanent residency, and we need to keep reminding ourselves of that because the reality is that this is the day-in, day-out world that we live in, and we can get so easily get in the mindset that this is permanent when this is temporary. This is but for a short time, and as we live in light of this being our temporary residence, it causes us to live our lives in a different way. We don't get anchored to the things and to the ways of the world as quickly. Now, they still have that pull and that tug, but that's why we're called back to remember. We're visitors, okay? So, so this is a very freeing thing because it releases us from the hold that the world has on us as we focus on the eternal. And then our right living, as we live according to the word of God, we are testimonies to the world. That even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, that your walk will silence their talk. We're going to come on that again a little bit later. But the way that we live will, will silence. They, they won't have ammo to throw against us because we are living godly lives. 
as we live as, as these foreigners and exiles. And then they will give glory to God on the day he visits us. So this leads us into this passage about submission. So when we look at the word submit, Again, it was just, I so appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your response at the very beginning when we first saw the word. There's just, oh no. But, but yet, I really trust that God is going to redeem submit and redeem submission in our thinking and in our lives this morning. It's probably one of the toughest things to do is to submit. It has to do with the control thing. It really has to do with the trust thing. But when I say submitting is, is a challenge, submitting the way God instructs us is an even greater challenge. And we are going to be challenged today, friends. So if you want to put on that seatbelt, <laughs> that's just to keep you in your chair as we talk through this. But we are, going to, we are going to see how God shows us what submission looks like his way and the beauty that comes out of it. So it's from a Greek, this word translated a submit is from, it's the very first word of the text today, is from a Greek compound verb that means this, to order oneself under or according to a given relationship. To order oneself under or according to a given relationship. Now, I'm going to go to, to, the, um, to the physical right now, but, but like right now we are submitting in a way, to the, to the roof of this building, okay? We are trusting, it, we don't even think about it, we just do it. But we are coming under the authority of this roof, okay? Now that's, again, it's, it's moving into um, uh, you know, the physical realm, but I want you to do it this way. So those that are able and dare do this, I want to encourage, just invite you, you don't have to submit, okay? <laughs> But just to put your hand out like this, okay? And if this represents your life, okay, this is representing your life, now put the other hand just above it. This can, this can represent the authority, the authorities that God is calling us to submit to. That our lives are to be under that authority, okay? I mean, it's just that simple and that difficult, okay? Our lives under that authority. Now, remembering where your top hand is, that represents authority. If you can reach up as high as you can with that hand and understand that that's God's authority, relative, okay? So our lives, um, you can put your hands down, unless you want to, if you, the visual helps you throughout the service, you can just sit there like that, that's fine. Um, but again, our lives, authorities over our lives, and God's authority over all, okay? Now, the thing is, is in comparison, if, if where we're sitting represents our lives, the, the roof represents the authorities in our lives, the atmosphere of this, you know what I mean? It's, it is that much greater. But here's the thing. So we're gonna be looking at God's order according to, to authorities, how he would have us to submit. But there's another aspect, and it's this, is that, that often within our lives, in fact, all of us in our lives, we deal with this issue of submitting to authorities, but then we also move totally separate from that to submitting to other things in our lives that God's not calling us to submit to. But ultimately, God is calling us to submit to him as the great authority over our lives. Now, here's the thing, is that when we get into this, I'm, I'm gonna need to lay some groundwork as far as a foundation in this um, to give context. We've talked a lot about context. Um, but I want to say this, is that when we talk about submitting to, to the earth's authority, and, and this is what God is giving us instruction through Peter, is submitting to earth's authority. We, I want to make sure that we all understand right up front that when the earth's authority tells us to do things that are against God's authority, we obey God. Okay? So God is not saying, you know, just do whatever they say. But I do believe he's calling us to submit in ways that we are falling, that where we need to grow in that submission, okay? But again, God's authority is the ultimate authority. God's word is what we are called to follow. So, what I've done, and this is, I don't remember ever doing this, so I hope it works. Um, we have a one-point message. <laughs> Uh, so it's going to be up a couple times uh, through this time. But I just wanted to summarize um, what I've been sensing that God's 
uh, God's leading us. So I have the privilege, I'm going to introduce him in, in, in a few moments, uh, to be co-teaching with Alan Smith this morning. I love that. And as we work together and as we were just seeking God, I just really sensed that, that what God was speaking to us and what I believe he'll be speaking through us comes under this. And it's this, trusting God, trusting God is the foundation for submitting to God's way and being free to fulfill his will. Okay, we're going to unpack this as we go through, but trusting God, this is a key issue in submission. Trusting God is the foundation for submitting to God's way, to what God says, this is how I've done it, this is how I've formed it, you need to follow it, but we need to trust him in order to do that. And there's freedom in submission. I know this sounds odd, but there is a freedom that comes as we submit to God's way. And then we step into this freedom that, that will actually bring fulfillment to his will and for his, to his desires in our lives. And today we're going to be looking at two areas, submitting to governments and slaves submitting to masters. So we're going to unpack that. Now, what we need to do in order to, um, to understand this and apply it to our lives and our culture today is to understand who Peter was writing to, to the situations that he was addressing. If we don't, we're not going to be able to bring accurate, accurate understanding to what God is speaking into our lives today. Okay, so first, let's, let's back up, let's rewind to what, what Peter was referring to when he's talking about submitting to governments. The emperor, okay, this, this region of, of people that he was writing to and where Peter was, was the Roman Empire, and the person who was in charge of that Roman Empire was Nero the emperor, okay? Not a good guy, okay? A little bit later on, this was written um, probably about 60 AD is, is what we think, but church tradition says that Peter died under Nero's rule, that he was crucified on a cross and he chose to be crucified upside down. This was under Nero's rule. Nero was like one messed up guy, Okay, um, he liked to do chariot races, but he didn't want to just do them in the day. He wanted to do them at night. So what he did in order to have light for the night, literally, so he could just race his chariots, was to hang Christians on poles and light them on fire alive, so that he could race his chariots. So this is the government. Understand this. This is the government that Peter is referring to. Okay, this sounds bizarre, but this is, this is the reality. We need to understand what he was speaking to. Nero, the emperor, and then the governors under him were, were those that were entrusted to enforcing the law. This is the government of, P, of Peter's day that he's referring to. And then when he's addressing slaves, I want us to understand this because this can be, this can be really tough to process and understand because when we think slaves, we think to American history of the past centuries, and what that meant. And, and there were some significant differences, and, and it's, it is important for us to understand this, is that slaves rep represented, some estimates say, up to half of the population of the Roman Empire. There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And these were not restricted to one race or to one nationality. Uh, it was just, it was the, literally the economic uh, structure of the Roman Empire was based on slaves. But there, were, again, were quite a few differences. One is that, that slaves there, um, they were under their master, um, but they fulfilled many different roles. Like they may, um, they may be like house servants, but they could also be doctors, could be teachers, could be artists, musicians. These were all considered slaves or servants in the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, slavery was not necessarily for a lifetime. But there were those that chose to even come into slavery because it gave us stability. It gave them a, a, a sure place of employment. So, so that's the, the slave um, culture, if you will, that Peter is addressing. Now the thing is, is that we're not elevating what he means to, to be a slave because the commentators say that, um, that slaves were just considered to be like inanimate objects. Like the only difference between a tool and a slave is that the slave talked, literally. That, that's, what they, that, that's what they would say, that they weren't considered as people, but yet they did have the opportunity at times to be, um, to be freed, to become Roman citizens. So it wasn't a permanent status within that culture. But here's one thing that while, while Peter's going to give instruction to slaves to submit to their masters, he is not defending slavery. 
Slavery is, is spoken against in the Bible consistently throughout Scripture because Scripture throughout, throughout is talking about redemption, that is buying and setting free. You know, we see that fulfilled in its greatest way through Jesus Christ who bought us when we were enslaved to sin, who redeemed us. So please be careful not to misinterpret what Peter is saying in these passages. But what he is saying is that how we respond to the authorities in our lives can and should change the world. Because while he never gave, never gave instruction, Jesus didn't either, and Jesus was in the same culture, he never gave instructions for the slaves to overthrow their masters. He gave them instruction on living that would change the culture, and years later, Christianity would have such inroads that slavery would be abolished. Okay, so we need to understand that, that God is not, is not, um, he's not callous to our situations. He's that loving father that we've been singing about. He cares. He has a plan. And when we follow his will and walk in his way, we will discover his provision. So what we're going to do now is look at this uh, first group of verses for today dealing with submission. It begins with verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Okay, um, it's going to give specifics, but listen to that, just that statement. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Remember the context. It's in this context, this world, that Peter is giving this instruction. To every human authority. For, ne for Peter, that, that human authority, that emperor is Nero. So when we project it forward to our lives, I see no other way to apply it except to the human governments that we have over us. I'm not gonna draw too, too close of a line here. Emperor in our, in our lives would be equivalent to president. Okay, the one who is the, the highest office over us. Okay, so again, we're not going to draw too many lines of connection, but we need to have application. Like he's, he's saying this concerning Nero. Then we should be willing and hearing this being said for us for President Biden. I mean, it's just that clear and that straightforward. Romans 13.1, Paul said this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now be careful not to say that God has, has said this is the best person for the job. <laughs> that they're going to do the best thing. Nero was not the best person to be emperor, but, but he was placed there by God for God's purposes. God's purposes are bigger. We can't see that at times. Often we can look back and see it. But God has established authorities for a purpose. Whether or not they use that authority properly is between them and God and it impacts us. But what we are called to do is to live according to God's word in regards to those who are in, in service over us. Now, here's the thing. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. This is for God's glory, for his honor. This is what's at stake. Like, as representatives of God in this world, we are to submit to every authority for the Lord's sake. That's our motivation, couple quotes that I'll be reading today. This one says, we as Christians ought to be known for our respect of the government even when we disagree. We as Christians should be known for our respect of the government even when we disagree. It doesn't say just comply and agree, but yet we should be honoring. Now here's the thing is that, that slaves, and when I was describing earlier, slaves were treated as, as just tools that talk. And to us, that sounds so terrible because they're only looked at for what they do, okay? But can I tell you, I think we do it in reverse. 
that we can look at those that are in authority over us as tools that talk. Okay, I'm speaking conviction to my heart because we can so often say, this is your job, you're not doing it, you know, and, and it's not even seeing them as people. And that's exactly what masters were doing to slaves in, the, in, the, in Peter's day. We do it to those in authority. We fail to see them often as people that were created by God, that are loved by God, and that we need to honor for two reasons. One is that they're put there by God, and secondly, that they're people that Jesus Christ died for and loves. Now, okay, this is really bizarre. This is just my thinking, but I, I want to share this with you and just let you ponder it. I'm not saying this is from Scripture, but because I don't know, but I wondered as I was preparing this, is it possible that God put certain people in government so that a lot of Christians will be praying for them. Okay, as I say that, literally I feel broken in my spirit. Because have we as the church as a whole, I'm not saying Grace Fellowship, but as the body of Christ, have we possibly let down our leaders by failing to honor them and to lift them before the Lord? I mean, have you ever thought about what could happen in a country when the leader of the nation finds Jesus Christ as a personal savior and lives a righteous life? Do we believe that God can save anybody, that, can, that he can transform anybody, that he can make anybody brand new? This speaks conviction to me. What the scripture says is this, is that we should do this. Uh, it's God's will that by doing good, verse 15, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Do you know what we do often with the ignorant talk of foolish people? We, we battle. We battle with, with the arguments, with the rhetoric. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, civil discussion is good. It's just rare. Okay, civil conversation, having disagreement and talking kindly about it is a good thing, but it's rare in our, our culture. But so many times we, we try to battle the talk with other talk, and what, what we're being called to here is, is how do you silence them? By doing good. Live the life. And it literally that says that it silences them. It's like it muzzles them. And do you know what? If, <laughs> when we get muzzled, I'm going to say them, I'm going to point out, when we're muzzled, do you know what? When our mouth stops working, our ears will work better. Okay? So this is what we can do by doing good is that we can silence the talk of ignorant people, unknowing people, foolish people who have not yet been brought to the light of God. Submission to the institution of government, we says, does not mean that we obey laws that cause us to disobey God. Submission to those that are authority over us does not mean that we obey laws that are contrary to the command of God. We have this throughout scripture. The primary one I felt drawn to was in Daniel chapter three with the three Hebrew children that would not bow, would not bow to the golden, golden statue, okay? They would not worship a God that was made by man. So they were in civil disobedience. They chose not to obey what went against what they were commanded by God. But they did subject themselves to the authorities in this is that we understand as a result of our disobedience, we're gonna be burned were willing to get thrown into the fire. So they did submit to the authority in that regard. And then a higher authority stepped in. Not only delivered them from the fire, but then showed the beauty and the majesty of God. They did the right thing, even at, when it cost so much. But here's the other part of that. It is that living under God's authority causes us to live as free people. Verse 16, live as free people. Yesterday I had a shirt, I was wearing a shirt all day that had free real big across the front. I think it was from Revive a few years ago, but I felt drawn to put this shirt on. I was literally just wearing it all day because the thing is that we are called to live free. We are free in Christ, regardless of what the circumstances are around us. We are free in him. But, but scripture says, don't use your freedom, don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil, okay? It's just like grace. We're saved by grace. It's a gift of God, but we're not giving grace so that we just sin. We're giving grace so that we're drawn to righteousness, to living the right way. We are free, but don't use it to cover up sin. Live as slaves to God, the authority that cares about us. We can trust him. He loves us. So live as slaves to God. And then that last verse, there's four things in 17. Show proper respect to everyone. 
show proper respect to, we can say it, everyone. Show proper respect to everyone, including those that are in authority over us, those that we are in authority over. Show proper respect. Show um, or love the family of believers by our love for one another. They'll know that we're his disciples. And then we are called to this, to fear God and to honor the emperor. And as believers in Christ, we need to help one another in this, to encourage one another, to set examples for one another. So how's it feel to submit? It's a challenge and it's a blessing. And I have the great privilege and honor of, of introducing to you my brother, Alan Smith. And Alan's going to come and share. Yes. So if, if you do not... If you do not know Alan, Alan is the director of Adopt-A-Block Ministries as part of the York Regional Dream Center. And Alan, uh, I've had the privilege of knowing and ministering alongside of Alan for probably close to 20 years, something like that. And um, That sounds bad. What's, what's that it? sounds bad. It does. It's a long time. <laughs> we were both children. <laughs> That's right. But Just babies. Yes. Alan is my dear brother, and God's given him some incredible word for you today. Please open your hearts and receive what he is about to share. Thank you, Mark. Okay, uh, this is kind of a complicated subject, so I want to make it a little simpler today. Every married man, would you just raise your hand right now? Come on, get them up, guys. Okay, now, ladies, if you're connected to one of these hands, would you stand? Come on, stand. Look around, guys. Now you understand authority. <laughs> I got an amen out of that. And of course it was a, well, never mind. All right. Let's look at verses 18 through 21. And here's what it says. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. I got to admit to you, I'm like you. I, I'm not crazy about these verses of Scripture. I would much rather read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. That's what I'm comfortable with. So this passage today makes me a, a little uncomfortable. I, I usually read through passages like this as quick as I can to try to get to something good, something like Psalm 150, which says, Praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Now, that'll get my spiritual juices flowing. I can do praise all day. But dealing with words like submit and masters and do what they tell you and suffer and do it patiently, that's a little harder for me. I know it's God's word, but I kind of squirm under it a little bit because I'm not a submissive type person. When I got saved, I thought I was signing up for joy and peace and happiness and blessing, not submitting and enduring. I wasn't interested in signing up for something hard. I wanted easy. I read it a few more times and it still sounded the same way. And I went, God, what am I going to do with this passage? And then I thought about the author, the Apostle Peter. And I thought, you know, that 
just doesn't sound like the Peter we see in the Gospels. That impulsive, mercurial, up and down, opinionated disciple that Jesus was mentoring to lead the church. That's the guy that wrote this. You remember who he was? He was the fisherman who took the advice of a carpenter and brought in the biggest haul of fish he had ever seen. Jesus had to say one time to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. But he walked on water. But he looked at the waves. He started to sink and he had to be saved by Jesus. He tried to decapitate a temple guard, but he missed and only got an ear. He was ready to fight, and Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. He ran and hid when Jesus was being led away to the trial. But he followed far off. And while Jesus was being beaten and harangued in court, Peter denied him three times. He's the guy that said to Jesus, even though everyone deserts you, I will not. But his words didn't match up to that. The Peter we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just doesn't seem like the guy that would instruct the followers of Jesus to submit to authority and to suffer and endure suffering patiently. It's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to do it patiently. So something must have happened to Peter to change his opinions and his ideas. We look at him a little later in the book of Acts and we get a view of a very different man. We see a Peter who preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus. Most preachers would be good to get three. 3,000? That's not the Peter we knew in the New Testament, in the Gospels. On his way to the temple after he had that sermon and those people responded, he was stopped by a man who had been lame his whole life. And of course, he was asking for money. And Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Peter took him by the hand and raised him up, and he began walking and leaping and praising God. We could use a little leaping and a little praising sometime in our walk with Jesus. He preached in Cornelius' house. And while he was speaking, everyone in the house was filled with the Spirit and began speaking in tongues and praising God. He didn't even get to give an altar call. So what's the difference that we see in the Peter of the Gospels and the man we see in Acts? There is an obvious difference. What is it? How can Peter we see in the Gospels become the man we see in the book of Acts? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Here's what it says. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one room. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. That's a lot to going on in four verses, man. I mean, a lot. And then you go on down a little further, and it says that this loud wind, probably something like an F5 tornado or something, men all over Jerusalem heard this and it said, devout men from every nation were drawn to that spot. Jesus was about to show the difference in Peter. 
The men came. There were women too, I'm sure. Had to put that in there, ladies, I'm sorry. And they heard the glory of God and praise for him in their own native language. And they looked at each other and said, what is this? I hear God being praised in my own language. And I know these men. They're not from, from where I am from. They are from right here in Galilee. And they don't know my language. Peter preached in Cornelius' house. Yeah, but when he preached in the Old Testament, I mean, the <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people went, yeah, I know him. He's all over the place. But now there's a different plane. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Was there a sound from heaven of a mighty rushing wind? Yes. Were there frames, flames that looked like fire and tongues that settled on each of them? Yes. Was everyone, including Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. When Peter preached, were 3,000 people added to the church? Yes. All these things really happened. But there was something else that happened that was not evident to the naked eye. But it was far more important. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon those in the gathered in the upper room, what really happened was the unleashing of the power and grace of the Holy Spirit into the lives of the followers of Jesus. And with that power came the ability to live the way they were created to live. Instead of his followers being present with him, he was now God present in them. And that's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. The purpose of the Holy Spirit living in us is to grant you and me the power to display the character of Jesus in our personal lives in spite of the challenges we face from day to day. That can look strange at times, but that's okay. That's okay. With the Holy Spirit living in us, we can submit. We can patiently endure. We can be patient with those around us. We can do good even if it's difficult. We can follow the example Jesus provided. As Paul writes, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I want to share with you just a minute how that can work in us on a personal level. I've been following God a long time. From the time I was a little boy to now. Sometimes I was a little shifty, but I've always followed. I was a pastor for over 40 years. Tried to serve well. Had some success. At least that's what people said. Everything looked great. But everything didn't feel great. I was on my way to heaven, no doubt about that. I was saved. But I had a huge problem I was living with that I kept really hidden. Because of the way I was raised, I had two things that dogged me, fear and anxiety. God took care of the fear when I was 13, when I really gave my life to him. I got up from, from praying, and I was a fearful kid. And I walked through a bad neighborhood to my grandmother's house. I, did, I, I told mom, I said, don't take me. I want to walk. 
And I, I loved going to her house, but I hated going to bed at her house because every night that I stayed there, I would wake up in the middle of the night with, with horrible, horrible nightmares, screaming because of that fear. I went to my grandmother's house that night. We did what we do. I went to bed and I slept like a baby. I never woke up once. I never had a nightmare. I've never had a nightmare since. So God took care of the fear thing. Yes, God, to God be the glory. But the anxiety thing never went away. It's not a good thing to live with because you're never sure. And even when you're sure, you're not sure. Yeah, I was on my way to heaven, but I was not enjoying the journey at all. And I kept thinking, God, there's got to be a better way. And I would pray. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. I said, God, help me to be different. Help me not to give in to this anxiety. You're the God of my life. I shouldn't be living this way. And it produced guilt. You couldn't see it. I was really good at covering up. But it was there. And it dogged me and it dogged me and it dogged me. And you know, when something like that is bought, you've got to get some relief somewhere. So I turned to drugs. Not that kind of drug. I didn't shoot a needle. I didn't smoke a joint. I didn't tip back a glass. I just was looking for a distraction. And so I became an avid TV watcher because I could put on a meaningless program and kind of occupy my mind and I didn't have to go through that. A couple of years ago, I was still living with that. And I had a little episode with, that some of you have, in this room have to deal with. It's called AFib, where your heart gets all crazy and does all crazy things. And that was a little unnerving for somebody that has anxiety. And I really wanted to honor God. I really wanted to trust but I had never learned to totally and completely trust. Oh, I'd sang, oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. But it was kind of empty. Because I knew that anxiety would come back. And I would feel like I was not trusting him. So that kind of upset my world for a little bit. They were able to take care of it. Give me some medicine and that was okay. And then shortly after that, I thought, okay, this is, this is good. It's over. Shortly after that, I noticed blood in my urine. And I called my doctor and I said, it's probably nothing. And I got him on the phone and I said, doc, I have some blood in my urine. He said, oh, that's not good. That's not exactly what you want to hear out of your doctor. You want to hear him say, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Oh, that's not good. I was looking for something a little different. But they were able to figure out what was going on. They said, we can take care of this. Just had to have surgery on my prostate and my bladder. And the doctor says, there's a lot of work to do there. Said, it's going to take two surgeries. And I was just like, oh, come on. One's bad enough. Why two? And I was worried about that. I was anxious about that. And I was downstairs medicating again. I medicated with TV. People medicate with a lot of stuff. Some people go shopping. TV's cheaper, okay? <laughs> but I medicated. I was medicated. I was downstairs in the recliner, that old beat-up recliner we have. And I was medicating. I have no idea what was playing, what was being said. I have no idea. But about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, I don't, I don't remember. 
as I was sitting there, it was almost like the glory of God descended into that place. And I heard it as clear as I've ever heard anything in my life. It said, Alan, I've got this. Don't worry. And can I tell you that the anxiety went like that? God delivered me from it. And I, was, I, was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I kept watching TV. Because I didn't know how to handle that. Finally, we went for the surgery. The big day came. And the doctor came in the room and he said, okay, today we're going to do the prostate and then later on we'll do the bladder. And I said, Doc, can't we do this all in one? He said, can't be done. It's too much work. Can't be done. And I said, yeah, I'll just put it in God's hands. No, anx- no anxiety. I'm honestly, no... I didn't know how, how to, what to do with myself not being anxious. So we went through the surgery, and my wife was in the waiting room. The doctor said, this is not going to happen in one surgery. And I said, well, is it okay if we pray? And I don't think he's a Christian. He said, whatever, God, you want to pray to, go ahead. But my wife said when he came to her out of that surgery, he was beaming. And he said, we got it all done. Is that God or what? Is that God? Yes, it is. That's almost the end of the story. This passage is important that we understand about submitting. Like I said, I, I was good. The anxiety was gone. And then about six weeks ago, and I, I knew where the anxiety was coming from. There was a lack of trust. And about six weeks ago, I came to bed and I was asleep for about an hour. And, and sometimes I'm one of those weird people. Sometimes I can hear my pulse in my left ear. And that's, you know, for an anxious person, that's not a good thing either. But I could still hear the pulse. My anxious was gone, but I could hear the pulse. And my heart was doing those crazy things again like AFib. And I, I, I called Karen and I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should call the ambulance or what I should do. And she said, how about we just pray? Guys, I hope you're married to a praying woman. Because she prayed And within 30 minutes, my heart was back in normal rhythm at about 60 beats per minute. My blood pressure was good. It was great. And when I woke up the next day, I was still discerned. I said, God, it embarrasses me that I got anxious. I want to be rid of this forever. And God said, well, why don't you fight it? And I went, how do I fight he said, try not doing the drug you do. Turn off the TV. So I turned off the TV. I got it by the computer and I started pulling up worship music. And since then, very little TV, whole lot of worship. Whole lot of worship. Because I learned how to fight. So I can tell you today, gladly, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I no longer deal with anxiety. And I'm ready to fight. But now, we just heard, submit. Not fight, submit. You need to know who I'm fighting. It's not the president. It's not some world government. It's not some guy in traffic. It's not my wife. I'm fighting the evil that is after us all. I'm fighting Satan. Well, Peter, that's what he did. He fought. 
but he wrote surrender. Can I tell you that I could not surrender until I, I trusted Jesus Christ? I trust, I said, Lord, this is frustrating me, and I trust you with it all. And I surrendered. And then that's when the trust came. So now I fight. For about the last six weeks, I've been fighting. And it's a good fight. And I want to I teach you how to fight, okay? I'm going to teach you how to fight. Here's the way you do it. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight. Sing it with me. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight. Oh, it's amen. That's how I fight. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark. Go get them. How do you fight your battle? Do you know what? Hmm. I told you that Al and I have had the privilege of ministering um, beside and near one another for almost 20 years. And I've watched Alan fight the battle over the years in incredible ways. But I've never seen him fighting like he's fighting now. I've watched the Spirit of God who has moved in and through him for so many years have new opportunity. Have new opportunity in his life. And as he pointed, like as we were preparing for this, that trust was just so powerful. And that's why it's this point it's trusting God is the foundation for submission. I cannot submit if I don't trust him. I can't surrender if I don't trust him. But trusting God is the foundation for submitting to God's way and being free to fulfill his will. And brother, you are submitting well and you are free in a greater way than ever to fulfill his will. Praise be to God. What about you? What does God want to have permission from you to do in your life today? What is he desiring? He will not push through or invade. And the Holy Spirit was able to sweep upon Alan that night because Alan was consistently putting himself before the Lord. And it was in the midst, and I so appreciate this, it was in the midst of his, of his medication <laughs> Watching TV, I so appreciate that. It was in the midst where God met him. And God will meet us where we are. But seek and just, just reach out, trust him. Say, God, and, and I really believe, you know, in, in Mark 9, we're told that father that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So embrace the part that you believe and cry out and say, God, help me, to, help me for more to trust you. And Peter closes this passage, and we're gonna close the service with this. He's pointing to Jesus. It says this, to, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you like sheep, you were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is our example. Jesus is our example that we follow in his way. 
This is quoting, Peter's quoting from, Psalm, from Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it's prophecy 700 years earlier, written 700 years earlier of Jesus, the suffering servant. And Peter, as he's writing this, I have no doubt that he could see clearly in his mind's eye the suffering servant. That literally while he was denying knowing Christ, he was watching the suffering servant who remained silent under authorities, who did not retaliate, who did not fight against, even though he had power, he withheld the use of that power because God had a greater plan. And God literally used those authorities to fulfill the plan of God, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. The way of suffering is the divinely intended manner of bringing the greatest victory of God into this world. So I don't know about you, but for me, as we've looked at this passage, and as Holy Spirit has spoken, submit is being redeemed in my heart, in my life, in a way like it's never been before. I've submitted, but I want to submit more to God's way. That means in regards to government, that I submit trusting that God is overall. In regards to, we're not in slaves and masters, but in, in, in those that, that are over us, if it's in our jobs or wherever there's an authority over us, we are called to submit and to bear the nature of Christ. That's what God can use. That's what he desires to use in every one of us. So the worship team is going to come out and we're going to close with a song. I want to close with an invitation. It's three parts. We've been saying that trusting God is the foundation for submitting to God's way and being free to fulfill his will. And as we present this truth and we've been presenting it, you may be at the place where you have not yet submitted to the Lord for salvation. We read the suffering servant. Jesus died for your sins so that you could be set free. And if you have not yet accepted that truth, if you have not embraced that truth, that Jesus took your sins on the cross, he paid the penalty of the death that you and I deserve on that cross. And he rose victorious, conquering sin, death, and the grave. If you have not personally realized that that's for you and said, Jesus, I recognize that I deserve death, but you died for me. I accept your provision and I give my life to you. I surrender my life to living for you. I believe in my heart that you are the Savior. I'm, I'm declaring that you are my Lord. Today, let it be the day that you submit to the Lord and find salvation. And for others, this may be a hard call when you hear Peter give instructions about submitting to the authorities in your life whether it be the government or your boss or those things that the people and the roles that God has placed in your life, but God is calling you, submit, trust me, God is saying, trust me, I can be fully trusted. I can use your submission in ways beyond what you can imagine as you submit to me first and, as, and submit to what I have placed in your life. Trust God, Amen. trust God. As Alan has shared, we all deal with things that we submit to whether it be anxiety, whether it be worry, whether it be envy, whether it be lust, whether it be any number of things that we can submit our lives to that we give control to in our lives. And God is saying, submit to me. I want to free you. I want to free you. Trust me. I don't know what it is, but I am 100% confident the Holy Spirit is speaking to every one of us individually, calling us to submission. Can I tell you, as much as it may hurt, it is worth every bit of pain. Ask Jesus. He gave his life so that we could be set free. We'll only find that freedom as we submit more fully to him. And it's progressive, as we heard in our brother's story. It's progressive. He has more. As much as God is doing in my brother's life, there's more. God, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to submit 
Help us, Lord, to surrender. Help us, Lord, to give our lives more fully to you so that you can more fully live in and through us. God, just do what you want to do in our lives right now because we don't want to be the same. God, we want to be transformed more into the image of Christ. God, have your way. Do what you desire. For your glory and for your honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to sing. With our brother Alan, you may be called to raise your hands and fight the battle in a new way. You may be drawn to your knees. This front is open as an altar. You may be drawn to come forward. The invitation is this. Will you submit to what God is calling you to do in obedience to his word and to his spirit? You are loved. This is a place where you're encouraged. Step forward. Kneel. Whatever God is calling you to do, submit and allow him to have his way right now.